Are we recording right now? Yeah. Okay, <laughs> fun. Okay. This voice is Hannah. And this voice is Marissa. Also, would probably am, is, are turned on by it. Hartzlerhowski? Yeah. Of course. Doesn't actually no. make a ton of sense. No. What are you doing? Are you talking to yourself? <gasps> oh my god, I already hate this story. You know what? I'm okay with that. Because I just thought you could like bleed suddenly yeah. at any given moment. <laughs> my erotic fan fiction isn't fucking interesting enough for you. Hello, you're listening to Tell Us More Podcast. <laughs> oh, all right, yeah. Yeah, now we, we need a mic check, though. Okay, good thing we, we do check. a mic check. <laughs> this is why we do a mic check. Okay, so the last episode was 19, so we're on 20. 20! Um, okay, but <clears throat> fuck, what were we talking about? We were talking about, okay, because so, we, we just got brunch. Jordan. And we were was... talking, and then I was like, stop talking, you save it. <laughs> <laughs> We often have discussions about I Michael. I know, Jordan. I know. I am wearing a Jordan sweatshirt, though. You are. So, good. Again, Michael, not Woods this time. Lots of Jordan. Jordan Woods is what? Is that my... Hey, it's my landlord. Nice guy. Um, <laughs> it's just shoveling outside. It's just shoveling. You know what he says. It's just shovely Joe. It's I think fine. he was on the roof. <laughs> I think he was on the roof the, uh, yesterday, because you have to, if it's not just like, just like, Just like Santa? <laughs> Was he on the roof like Santa? I think so. I don't have any presents, though, other than a roof over my head. That sounds like a present. Stop licking me. It's my dog. It's not me. She would never tell me to stop. <laughs> no. Why is she licking you? I don't know. Did she licks spill? the outside of my pants all the time, and I don't she, know why. She likes how it feels on her tongue. <laughs> she does that to the couch. She does it to a lot of... Does it to the blankets. Shelby. <laughs> she doesn't care what you want. I'm not consenting to the Oh, did licking. you take her collar off? Yeah. Okay, good. No, she took it off herself. Oh, she yeah. got a disposable thumbs is what I was just going to Disposable thumbs? Yeah, I love She can put them on sometimes. Some disposable What's thumbs. Your... There's crust in there. It's probably from pizza. Oh, yeah, you got some food stuck in there. I'm not going to worry about it. Um, uh, <laughs> so in her dog. Her dog. <laughs> oh, the crust is in her dog. <laughs> Anyways, no. Yes, um, Jordan. So we were saying how out of anybody you could screw over in Hollywood, don't screw over Kris Jenner. Right. She's the last person you want to fuck with. I, she's just so powerful. She has so many knowledge. She has so much fucking power. Like, I'd be terrified. If I were Jordan, I'd be terrified. I'd look over my shoulder. If I were Jordan, I wouldn't have fucked my friend's boyfriend. <laughs> That's true. My friend's sister's boyfriend. <gasps> I can't. I just. I just. I can't wrap my head around it. I can't. You're so dumb. You're so dumb. So dumb. You ruined your life. <laughs> You're so dumb. Why? I try to think of like a reasonable reason. She's an idiot. Like there's no. Even if she was like drunk. Like maybe she. Well, this is not an excuse at all in the least. So he's hot. No. You don't think so? I don't think he's throw away your entire life. No, 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 Fuck no, no, up no. the Kardashian-Jenner family no, hot. No, not at all. I'm just saying in general he's an attractive man. She used to be super insecure. I think she's still super insecure. Exactly. She looks, I don't want to say better, but she's she's got her waist snatched, you know. She's got the glow up. She had a glow up, and I feel like she looks better, so she's probably getting more attention, but she's still insecure. Yeah, but... And so she did it because she's, like, fucking insecure, or... I guarantee she's getting attention from people that are not having babies with right. the Kardashians. That part I can't... I can't. I can't. There's nothing... There's no argument that. to justify. You ruined that. your cash cow. Right! You had it like, made. <laughs> even as horrible as that sounds, like, yes. But also, at the same day, like, you... You no longer have your best friend of 15 years. Oh, that's true. But, like... <laughs> and also your cash cow, <laughs> 
tell. But that was your life. You were a Kardashian, and yeah. now you just screwed over the Kardashians, so now you're excommunicated, and you're excommunicated in more ways than one. Everybody hates you now. Malika's coming for you. Malika's going to stab you. I wouldn't want to piss off Malika. Malika knows how to be a best friend of the car jars. Yeah, she would never. Neither would Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Jonathan might he try. Might. My Jonathan would try. <laughs> no, Jonathan, uh, what's his last name? He's like Kim's Chebin? best friend. Chebin? Yeah, that one. He seems shady. Yeah. But he's still around. He's around. Well, he's shady because he's not interesting enough without them. He's, you know, he's the kind of person that would listen to this and then tweet at us. I hope he does. He's done that before. He'll he's like tweeted at you before when yeah. you've come. <laughs> I came for him. No, he'll like look at tweets and he won't even be tagged in them. But then he'll see. So it's like you search your own name because you're not I tagged would in this tweet. Totally search my own name. I would, but I wouldn't comment on it because that's embarrassing. I feel like I'm comment on the nice ones. I just, I don't know, I don't want to... I want to be that celebrity that's super relatable. Same, <laughs> though. But, no, I just want to be nice. But pe- I want to be nice, but know that people can't fuck with me because I'll ruin you. Yeah, I mean, I don't... That's the vibe I want. I don't really have that power. I want the vibe that of... vibe, I guess. <laughs> I want the vibe of I'm sweet, but you're, you should be terrified of me. You're like a Sour Patch Kid. Yes. Mostly sour. Kind of patchy. <laughs> if I do my makeup badly. Kind of patchy. Shelby, I am not kidding. Go away. <laughs> Go sit over there. Nope, don't bonk your head. <laughs> also, what I wanted to tell you. Oh, yeah. So, Frida came over to pick up some mail the other day. And she was like, I listen to your podcast back and forth every Friday. Because she has, like, a long drive. Okay. And she was like, sometimes I tell people I work with facts that I hear. And then she's, then she's like, then I say, no, never mind. Because it's probably not true. Because you guys get everything wrong. <laughs> Not everything, just like most half of it. Yeah, a lot. Exactly. I just think percent of it. I think it's so funny that she's so like eager to share the information, and then is like, "Wait, no, that actually might not be true because the source is not credible." Here's this information that I have, but you'll have to check your own. Yeah, <laughs> like, you, you have, have to, to double check. check <laughs> These are not That's credible awesome. sources. No, I mean we try, but sometimes we make things up confidently. Yeah, I feel like I have some people write in a way that's unnecessarily. Filled with $10 words. Yeah. And then not to make myself sound stupid, I sometimes just don't understand the message that you're trying to convey. I don't, I don't understand when people, when sometimes I'll read stuff and I'll be like, I have no idea what you just fucking said. <laughs> yeah. But I also only kind of half read stuff. It depends on who I'm reading. Like, if it's, I feel, but I feel like, like, if it's an important historical figure, like, Tyra Banks thing, her being the first woman on this sport, like, whatever. Right. <laughs> Not that I don't love Tyra Banks, but, like, yeah, Wikipedia said that. Yeah. And I just <laughs> ran with it. Dude, Wikipedia <laughs> said that, and I just ran with it. I was just She's, repeating. She was the first African-American woman, Hell so, yeah. I mean, it's the, it's the first woman in some it was sense important. of the word. Yes. It was, again, half right. Right. And openly admitting that. <laughs> openly admitting. You don't have to attack me. You're being um, attacky. Oh, attacky. You're attacky in a heat. Uh, okay, so we talked about the Jenners. This is the danger of going to, like, brunch before we start to record, because we talk about stuff, and then we're like, oh, we just talked about a bunch of stuff. Now what do we have for the podcast? We can think of new and interesting things. I got nominated for a Positivity Award at work. Yes! Hell yeah. You did! I didn't win, but I did a... Oh, but you, okay, but you were so It's an honor to be nominated. It's an honor. It's an honor. It's an honor. It's an honor. Oh, Fritz is outside again. Does he want something? I think he's shoveling your sidewalk. He might also be putting ice down. You mean salt. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm sad that, or I'm sure he's sad that you're leaving. You think? Poor Fritz. Is Fritz his first name? 
Um, it's Fitzgerald. Oh. I think. <laughs> Again. Really nice. No, it's Frederick. Great. <laughs> it's Frederick. Great. Great, 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 great. Fitzgerald. Cool. It's Frederick. What do you mean? Somebody asked me. There's chopstick been, on it right now. Been, I can see that. Okay. It might have been Frida or <coughs> or my new friend Alex. Shout out, Alex. I know you're listening. Because you tell me. Um, one of them asked if we were just constantly high. And I was like, you know what? Maybe. Sometimes. <laughs> sometimes we're just weird. Sometimes I'm tired. Sometimes, sometimes we're drunk. Sometimes we're drunk. Sometimes or like we're hungover. hungover. <laughs> so that's the you answer. Know? Oh, wait. No, we're not, Liz. I was going to say, I mean, I'm not saying anything. <laughs> Liz is like, that Marissa, she's a stoner. <laughs> bad influence. She's a bad... Bad mamma Bad, bad mamma jamma. Bad mamma jamma. Bad, bad Leroy bad Brown. Baddest man in the whole damn town. Something, something. Crazy dog. Junkyard dog. I don't know what's happening. It's a song. I figured. But, like, from where and what and why? Speaking of figured. Oh, you're not going to tell me. There's <laughs> <laughs> some historical figures. I don't know. What was your question? No, yeah, it's called bad. So it's, it's bad. It is <clears throat> bad, bad Leroy Brown, baddest man in the whole damn town, badder than old King Kong, and meaner than a junkyard dog. Yeah, it's just a. I mean, it's just a song. What the fuck? I've never heard of this song. For some reason, I kind of sing it a lot. I'm gonna wear this. Bitch! Yes, you are my gothic princess, <laughs> my sexy Kat Von D without the anti-vax stance. Yeah, I vax my children that I don't have. I'm gonna vax your children. I'm gonna vax everyone's children. Anti-vaxers. Balto didn't. Have you seen that one Why are meme you about stupid? how? <laughs> did you see that meme about how Balto didn't run? Did you ever see Balto? It's a dog, right? Yeah, he did. He like ran across the Arctic. To deliver vaccines for polio. And it's literally like, Balto didn't do all of this just for you to not vaccinate your kids. <laughs> oh my god. We could completely eradicate measles if people just fucking vaccinated their kids. Like, seriously. Yeah. People are dumb. I didn't get polio. You were vaccinated, you dumb shit. I didn't get polio. Because <laughs> you were vaccinated. You were shitty. Fuck you, Jenny McCarthy. Oh yeah, she sucks. She dated, um... Jim Carrey, don't they have a child together? Ew. I was going to say the guy from New Kids on the Block. <laughs> Mark Wahlberg? Jenny, no, the brother. Donnie? Yeah. Okay. Wahlberg. Yeah, they're married. Oh, currently? Yeah. Gross. Interesting. Ew, there's an American television series called Donnie Loves Jenny. I don't like that. I met Donnie Wahlberg multiple times, and he's a dick. And that's all I have to say about this. And Jenny, I have rainbow hair. That happened. Yeah, that happened. That was unintentional. I won't tell that story because Kelly still cries at work. <laughs> Kelly, the one that gave me the, she gave me the color depositing conditioner that I thought was toner. Oh And so no. she thinks it's entirely her fault. And she, when I came back to was work it? the next day, no, oh. I think she told me what it was, and I just wasn't listening and auto filled in toner. So. What did the what what did, I don't understand? How I don't a understand how you do still that. don't get what happened to my hair. You put something that you mistake you mistook for something else in your hair. I get yeah. that. Yeah, you were trying to keep your hair blonde, and it way backfired. Yeah, 
you're trying to use toner on your hair because that... Yeah, but it wasn't toner. It was color depositing conditioner. Color depositing Which is essentially just dye. Okay. See, I didn't know what the mistake product was. (laughs) I knew what your goal was. I didn't know what you used to cause the mistake. And then you said conditioner, and I don't know how that would change your hair. But it looks fucking cool. You look chill as shit. I do. (laughs) You just look like a cool girl. I am a cool girl. Like, it doesn't look like a mistake. I can assure you of that. Thank you. It was. (laughs) Oh, I'm moving to Minneapolis soon. (gasps) Duh! What the fuck? (laughs) This is just like the stand-up incident. Yeah, literally big... (laughs) What? Big milestone. (laughs) We forgot that I did stand-up. We were racking our brains as to... For an update on our lives. And I was like, I don't really think I did anything. We did something. I was like, fucking A, I did stand-up for the first time. You dipshit, Marissa. Oh, so funny. I'm so proud of us. But yeah, so that's in, we're recording this the end of February. It's February 24th. Um, and I will move in April, on April 1st, though. So. Yeah, and so 35 short days, you will be in your apartment. Apartment. What is current- this old witchy voice? In <laughs> 35 days. That's <laughs> my, that's my premonition for you. In 35 oh, days, I like you it. will be in your, it's a positive premonition. Yeah, I like it. I just sound just delivered in a terrifying old lady voice. <laughs> Exactly. As one does. I'm missing an eye, and I have a glass oh, one. Oh, God. <laughs> anyway. Season two, episode 20. Bente. Um, so that means I go first, because yeah. even. I feel like this doesn't make any sense, but I feel like I haven't gone first yeah, in a really long time, yeah, but that doesn't, I that. it can't, it doesn't no, yeah. make sense. No, I totally get that. I, I was going to say, I feel like I always go first. I know. That doesn't, I don't know. What. Dorothy Jean Dandridge was born on November 9th, 1922. Does that make her a Scorpio? That's a Scorpio. In Cleveland, Ohio. Her mother, actress Ruby Dandridge, left her husband while she was still pregnant, and as such, Dorothy never knew her father. Get out of there, bitch. Right. She later suffered at the hands of her mother's girlfriend, oh, Geneva Williams. That came out of nowhere. Right? A disciplinarian with a cruel side. But good for them. Yeah, I know. Supporting lesbians, not supporting cruel parentage. Not suvo- not supporting violent lesbians. <laughs> we don't support. This podcast does not support violence. Lesbian or otherwise. <laughs> Perhaps a title. Um... This is a cruel side. Okay. Uh, pushed into show business at a young age by her mother, Dandridge performed with her sister Vivian as a song and dance team called The Wonder Children. <laughs> the girls performed throughout the South, playing black churches and other places. Around 1930, Dandridge moved to Los Angeles, California with her family. A few years later, she found success with a new musical group called the Dandridge Sisters, which included her sister Vivian and their friend Etta Jones. The group landed gigs at the famous Cotton Club in Harlem and performed with top acts such as the Jimmy Lunsford Orchestra and Cab Calloway. As an African-American singer, Dandridge confronted early on the segregation and racism of the entertainment industry. She may have been allowed on stage, but in some venues she couldn't eat in the restaurant or use certain facilities because of the color of her skin. Just her, not the other two? No, she's just. they're just saying. No, I know. <laughs> Just Dorothy. They were like, just fuck Dorothy. you, Dorothy. It's naturally not about the fact that you're black. We just don't like you. No. Uh, but no, so she, I, that makes me so mad that they, she was allowed to perform. Right. But you can't eat here. You can entertain us, but right. fuck you if you think you're going to be a human. Me. Garbage. As a teenager, Dandridge began earning small roles in a number of films. She and her sister appeared in the Marx Brothers classic, A Day at the Races, as well as Going Places with Louis Armstrong. Do you mean A Day Being Racist? Because I'm sure... <laughs> A day at the racist. <laughs> a day being racist. No. 
Um, just <laughs> that know. sounds like a fucked up experiment. A day being racist? Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to play in that. I don't want to do that. Nobody Sorry, that's that. not going to be my sociology. It's a documentary of the South. <laughs> <laughs> it's Arkansas. We shit on Arkansas all the time. Arkansas sucks. True. Um, have you ever been to Arkansas? No, I just <laughs> have a feeling. I've heard. I've heard things. Uh, going places. Lee Armstrong. Oh, on her own, she danced with Harold Nicholas of the Dancing Nicholas Brothers in the 1941 Sonia Heine musical, Sun Valley Serenade. The duo's top tap dancing routine was cut from the version of the film Down in the South. So they had a part, and then just specifically for the people in the South. I'm not shocked. I just... I would have been amazed. I was amazed at you saying that she was in a movie at all. Right? I know. Um... Dandridge married Harold Nichols of the Nicholas Brothers Aww, dancing whatever cute. <laughs> in 1942, but their union proved to be anything but a happy one. Not so much. Shitty. Me cute. I mean, it was a meat. It was cute. cute. It wasn't um, a relationship. Extended. Cute. <laughs> I don't know. Was it? Great first impression. Yes, it was expired meat. Cute. Because <laughs> it's expired meat. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Expired meat. Cute. Okay. Um. Do 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 do. Oh, Nicholas reportedly liked to chase other women, and Dandridge virtually retired from performing during this time. Adding to the strain, Dandridge gave birth to daughter Harolyn in 1943, and then they discovered that the girl had brain damage. Seeking to find a cure, Dandridge had Harolyn receive expensive private care for many years. So she had, like, 24-7 care. So her big break was a movie called Carmen Jones. So after her divorce in 1951, Dandridge returned to the nightclub circuit, this time as a successful solo singer. After a stint at the Macombo Club in Hollywood with Desi Arnaz's band and a sellout 14-week engagement at La Vie en Rose, in French is that Rosé? There's no accent. La Vie is um, life. The life of Rose. Rose is the pink. The life in pink. Light pink. Okay, I don't know. She became an international star, performing at glamorous venues in London, Rio de Janeiro, San Francisco, and New York. She won her first starring film role in 1953's Bright Road. Nope. Bright Road. <laughs> Bright Roll. Bright Road, playing an earnest and dedicated young school teacher opposite Harry Belafonte. Harry Belafonte. I knew him well. Did you know? Because I'm not sure if you knew. But I really could have been something. <laughs> Gonna kill you. <laughs> Swear to God. Her next role uh, was the lead role in Carmen Jones, a film adaptation of Bizet's opera that Carmen was of Bizet's opera Carmen that also co-starred Belafonte. So she did another movie with uh, Harry Belafonte. Do you want to have more comments on Mr. Harry Belafonte? Harry Belafonte. <laughs> he was something of a gentleman. <laughs> okay. I don't know if he was, but he still okay. pinched my ass. But I, but at the time, at the time it was the time. It was, the time. It was Harry Belafonte. Um. Uh, oh, this movie, this movie. Sorry, Carmen Jones with Belafonte. I can't stop laughing. Uh, with Belafonte, catapulted her to the heights of stardom with her sultry looks and flirtatious style dandridge became the first african-american to earn an academy award nomination for best actress although she lost out to grace kelly dandridge seemed well on her way to achieving the level of fame and superstardom enjoyed by the white her white contemporaries like marilyn monroe and ava gardner so she was like i was just gonna say she was nominated for what 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 what, what? she was nominated for an award 
Yeah. Did you not hear that a whole paragraph? I was yawning. But oh. I heard the what one? An Oscar? Uh, da, 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 da. First African-American to earn an Academy Award nomination for Best Actress. So, yes. And she lost what? to Grace Kelly, but Dandridge seemed well on her way yeah. to achieving the level of fame and stardom enjoyed by her white contemporaries like Marilyn Monroe and Ava Gardner. So she was like the same era as Marilyn Monroe, like pinup style, mm-hmm. that whole thing. Of course, she's not as well remembered. Because yes. our country is trash. Yes, racist. I'll show trash. you a picture. It's She's stunningly beautiful. Um, in 1955, she was featured on the cover of Life magazine and was treated like visiting royalty at that year's Cannes Film Festival. Cannes? Cannes? Cannes. 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 French. It's Cannes. in France. Are the French less racist? Is that why she was treated better? I don't know. I didn't ask the French. Good for We'd them have to if ask they them. are. Good for them if they are. I um, hate the British. They're still mad about the war. And I'm not kidding. My French teacher told me. <laughs> I understand. I mean, war is war. Yeah. All's fair, but love I, and war. In high school, I kissed um, my friend's crush, and I told my mom, and she was like, all's fair in love and war. And that was her advice. Savage. Anne is a savage. Anne was like, fuck that girl. Get your man. Yeah. How, stand by your man. <laughs> Wait, who was that? Psycho that burned my picture. Okay, but who who did you kiss? Furniture store dad. Well, the son. <laughs> I don't know who the fuck furniture store that is. Did you go to high school with them? Yeah. You know, on Happy Harry's. Furniture it was Tim Ross. Store. Oh did you not know God. that Tim Ross's dad owned Happy Harry's? No, I don't know what Happy Harry's is. That's a furniture store. It's family owned. Apparently by Tim Ross. <laughs> yeah, I don't, maybe he took over. Anyway, that's who. I didn't know that At a story. bonfire. I did not know this story. She's crazy, so it's okay. Oh my god, yeah. I mean, you should have stood by your man. Stand Damn. by your man. Did you know she told Eric LaFonsi to not take me to prom? I think I did know that. Good on you for taking me to prom, Eric. Good on you, <laughs> Eric. Didn't listen to peer pressure. I don't know if he listens anymore. He did listen for a while. Okay, well, you're dead to me. Uh, okay. Not you. No, I know. Okay. Eric. Uh, ba, ba, ba. Okay, she was treated like royalty in France, where they might be less racist, but we don't really know. However, in the years that followed her success with Carmen Jones, Dandridge had trouble finding film roles that suited her talents. She wanted strong leading roles, but found her opportunities limited because of her race. According to the New York Times, Dandridge once said, if I were Betty Grable, I could capture this world. Do you know who Betty Grable is? She's just like a white movie starlet. White, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Belafonte also addressed this issue, noting that his former co-star was the right person in the right place at the wrong time. (laughs) Good old Belafonte. Harry Belafonte, (laughs) you know. Of course old Harold said that. Of course. Oh, Mr. Belafonte. Um, it was rumored that she would play Billie Holiday in a film version of the jazz singer's autobiography, Lady Sings the Blues, but it never panned out. Dandridge did appear in one more worthy, one more role worthy of her talents, opposite Sidney Poitier in the award-winning Porgy and Bess, which I have not heard of, but I have heard of Sidney Poitier. Is it Poitier? Poitier. Sidney Poitier? I don't know. Sure. French. Yeah. There's a lot of French in here. Yeah. I don't know. It's because they were less racist. Uh... Sure. When making Carmen Jones, Dandridge became involved in an affair with the film's director, 
Otto Preminger, who also directed Porgy and Bess. Their interracial romance, as well as Dandridge's relationship with other white lovers, was frowned upon, particularly by her other African-American members of the Hollywood filmmaking community. On the rebound, Dandridge married her second husband, Jack Dennison, in 1959, though that also proved to be another troubled relationship. Dennison was abusive and mishandled her money, with Dandridge losing much of her savings to an investment in her husband's failed restaurant. <sighs> they split in 1962. Mm. As her film career and marriage floundered, Dandridge began drinking heavily and taking antidepressants. Mm. The threat of bankruptcy and nagging problems with the IRS forced her to resume her nightclub career, but she found only a fraction of her former success. Relegated to a second-rate lounges and stage productions, Dandridge's financial situation grew increasingly worse. In 1963, she could no longer afford to pay for her daughter's 24-hour medical care, and Harolyn was paced, placed in a state institution. Dandridge mm -hmm. soon suffered a nervous breakdown. Same. On I would. <laughs> Same. Like I would. Right. On September 8th, 1965, Dorothy Dandridge was found dead in her Hollywood home at age 42. Initially reported to be the result of an embolism, additional findings pointed to an overdose of an antidepressant. Dandridge had little more than $2 in her bank account at the time of her death, and her unique and tragic story became the subject of renewed interest in the late 1990s, beginning with or beginning in 1997 with the release of biography Dorothy Dandridge by Donald Bogle and a two-week retrospective at New York City's Film Forum. In 2000, film star Halle Berry won the Golden Globe and Emmy Awards for her portrayal of the groundbreaking actress in an acclaimed HBO movie introducing Dorothy Dandridge. So that's what Halle Berry won her. You know how there's that, like iconic i thought she won for a movie called monster no that's monster's ball isn't that uma thurman no monster is the one that is in Char or charlie's theron but i think monster's ball is a movie hang tight oh well oh, you're right barry won the 2002 academy award for best actress for her performance in the romantic drama monster's ball oh I don't know why I know that. No, I do, because she wore a controversial dress for the time. It was a little oh see-through. It was, like, barely. I remember mm -hmm. it. it. That's, like why, I rem that's why I remember. I think I watched her E! True Hollywood Story, which I miss E! True Hollywood Stories. Um, yeah. Yes. It, that was a great show. So, yeah, that stuck out to me. Okay. So, she, but then she also, okay, so she, blah, blah, blah. She won in 2000. She won a Golden Globe and an Emmy for her portrayal of oh, okay. Dorothy Dandridge. Yes. Well, that would make sense because an Oscar is for movies, so I don't know why we didn't catch on to that. Oh, duh. So, uh, first African-American woman to win an Oscar. We're silly. Yes, we are. I forget what that they're like. There's They have 17 different... There's the Golden Globes, the Emmys, the Oscars, and the Tonys. And then if you get all of them, you have an EGOT. EGOT. Which Lady Gaga almost SAG has. SAG Awards, too? I don't think that counts for the EGOT, but there are SAG Awards. There are also SAG Awards. Anyways, I was going to show you a picture of Dorothy Dandridge, because she's stunningly beautiful and looks like... Like, I love pinup girls. I think the whole, like, style is fun. Um, and so I was... I mean, I wasn't upset, but I was, like, annoyed with myself that I didn't know who she was before I did this. Dorothy Dandridge! Look at her. <gasps> Stunning. Isn't she, like, just... Gorgeous. It's beautiful. She kind of looks like Maya Angelou. Not Maya Angelou. <laughs> Maya Rudolph. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Funny you should say Maya Angelou, though. Oh, my God. Are you going to do Maya Angelou? No. Oh. <laughs> okay. It's fine. I don't There's know mention of her in it, though. Okay. Um, is that it? Yeah, that's the end. Okay, like cool. I said, they're short, and like, but I wish I could find more information on them, but there really isn't that much. 
Alvin Eiley was born on January 5th, 1931 in Texas to a 17-year-old mother. His father abandoned him when he was six months old. Oh! His name was also Alvin. Good. So, um, that meant Alvin, like, he grew up during the Great Depression, racial segregation, lynchings, violence, you know. All of it. All of the shit. It's bad and probably still happens. Um, but then early, don't you worry, because in early, <laughs> well, no, that it's still bad. Anyway, this is the sentence. <laughs> early experiences in the Southern Baptist Church and juke joints instilled in him a fierce sense of black pride. So it's like that still didn't stop him from being proud of being black, huh. was the point of my jet. My don't you jabber. worry. Don't you worry. <laughs> in 1942, his mom moved to Los Angeles, um, for a job, like, I guess there was a lot of jobs around there for African-American people because of the war, but Alvin didn't go with her right away, he did finish school, and then he took oh. a train to meet her. Oh my god, cute! Like, months later. Like, he graduated, like, high school? No, he was 11. Oh, shit, okay. Yeah. And he's like, Mom, I gotta stay. It's like, I gotta... I'll, I'll meet you there. <laughs> he's a very smart kid, um, but his first junior high, when he moved, was all white people, and he felt out of place and like, genuinely scared. Yeah. I, so yeah. his family moved to a predominantly black school district, and he went to George Washington Carver Junior High, and then Thomas Jefferson High, and his high school activities included singing spirituals in the Glee Club, poetry, <laughs> and languages. And he regularly attended shows. Wait, like I'm Luke sorry. One of his hobbies was languages? He was very good at different languages. Oh, okay. Um, and he regularly attended shows at Lincoln Theater and the Orpheum Theater. What is this accent? Where did I she come know. from? I'm still figuring her out. Okay. Um, and then in 1949, his friend Carmen introduced him to the Hollywood studio of Lester Horton, which is a dance studio. Ooh. And Horton then became a mentor and... He gave Alvin, like, both technique and a foundation, which, with to grow artistically. Um, and then at the school, they taught a lot of different styles, like ballet, jazz, Native American dance. And that's when Alvin fell in love with dance. <laughs> <laughs> I was expecting it to be, like, a name of a person, like, he fell in love with. And then it was just... <laughs> Dance. The art of dance. You fell in love with dance. It's a romantic language. Um, Horton School, uh, just a side note, was the first multiracial dance school in the United States. Cool. I mean, then it, it does say citation needed next to it, but I want to believe it. <laughs> That's not our fault. Exactly. The citation, we, we cited that that needs a citation. Exactly. We're covering our bases. Um, so he first he wasn't sure if he wanted to be a professional dancer, because he, he studied, he was so fucking smart, he studied romance languages at various universities, but he was restless academically. Uh, he took courses in, in the writings of James Baldwin, Langston Hughes, Carson McCullers, that mm. also needs a citation. Um, he then moved to San Francisco in 1951 to study some more. And why not? there, he met Marguerite Johnson, who later changed her name to... Maya Angelou! Oh my god! Uh, they occasionally performed at a nightclub act called Al and Rita. Oh my god, so they had a little act together. Um, Wait, so Maya's real name is Margarita? Marguerite. Marguerite Johnson. Oh my god. Cool. And then she changed her name to Maya Angelou. Um, so he learned an, a, 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 
So he earned a living waiting tables and then dancing at the New Orleans Champagne Supper Club. He's a dancer. Um, and then he went back to the Horton School. And then at the age of 22, he began full-time study at the Horton School. And he joined the company in 1953. It was during this period that Eileen performed in several Hollywood films. Okay. Notable. Notable. Um, <laughs> and then I guess people that went to the school also studied other art forms, like painting, acting, music, set design, and costumes. And then, like, yeah, like I said, a bunch of different forms of dance. Um, but Eileen kept his life as a dancer a secret from his mother for two years, which is me but with comedy. Because <laughs> you don't even know that. Liz knows all. Liz is an ominous being. An o- <laughs> ominous. <laughs> Doesn't that mean all-knowing? <laughs> Doesn't that mean all-knowing? Um, 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 <laughs> um, omnipotent or omnipotent? Ominous means, like, scary and haunting. <laughs> like, this is ominous being. <laughs> I've been using that word. I've been using that word wrong my whole life. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. Bearing a name, especially giving or bearing the no, author's name. That's, oh, that's, that's not how you spell oh. ominous. Oh, ominous is being. Everything just keeps getting worse. Ominous. Better. It keeps getting worse. Being or exhibiting an omen. Yeah. Pretentious, foreboding, foreshadowing, foreboding evil. Evil. Okay. Well, an omen can be good, too, but this one in particular is evil. You're thinking of, like, omnipotent. I'm going to type in all-knowing. It's one of the spelling bee words, and I always pronounce it wrong. Omniscience <laughs> is the ca- the capacity to know everything in religions. Um, um, in religions? Wait, um, what did we think it was? Omni- Omniscient? No, omnipotent. Um, Omniscient is knowing everything. Omnipotent is having unlimited power, the ability to do everything. But then omniscient is knowing everything. So you can be omnipotent or om- omnipotent and omniscient. <laughs> um, omniscient. <laughs> we work at a spelling bee. And sometimes it's ominous. And if sometimes it is oh ominous. I love that you just call Liz ominous. <laughs> she She's an be. ominous being. She can be when she chooses. All if five, two of her. She's yes. very ominous. If she wants. Okay, I'm so sorry. Where? Um, what? what? What's going okay, on? I forgot that I was the one telling the story. I was waiting for you to start. <laughs> no. um, so Horton died in 1953, which left the company without a, a director. And the company had these contracts that required and desired new works. And then when no one, basically, so nobody stepped up to take the role. So Eilie, El, Alvin Eilie was like, I'm going to do it then, even though he was only 22. Do it. Crush it. Only 22 years old and had choreographed only one dance in a workshop before. But then he began choreographing, directing, scene, costume design, and running rehearsal. And he also directed one of the shows for the company. So he just stepped up and was like, okay, nobody else is going to do it. I guess I am then. And, yeah. and no one stopped him, apparently. And I know his name. Do you? Alvin Eiley? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why. So keep going. Keep going. I, yeah. Um, then in 54, him and his good old friend Carmen... They went to New York. They were invited to, like, this Broadway show, House of Flowers by Truman Capote. Ooh. Um, 
just... <laughs> oh, they were invited to... Okay, so and then in 1954, him and his friend Car- Carmen were invited to dance in that show. And then he was in a couple other Broadway shows. Um, but he didn't like the New York modern, modern dance scene. He didn't... It was not to his taste. Oh, okay. He expressed disappointment at not being able to find a technique similar to Horton's. So he didn't... He wasn't able to find a mentor, so he began creating works of his own. So if you can't find a mentor, be your own mentor. Right? That's be your a own great... mentor. I love it. He took life by the balls and danced with it. Taking the dog, dumbass. <laughs> I'm taking the dog, dumbass. Oh my god, Jennifer Coolidge. Jennifer Welcome Coolidge. to the table. Wait, where are you? Don't take my dog. <laughs> Don't take me. Jennifer Coolidge is trying to take my dog. Um, but then he, he formed... I'm going to make you a shirt that has just little writing right here that just says, Jennifer Coolidge is trying to take my dog. <laughs> please. Please do. <laughs> We have so many shirts. Um, so then he formed his own group. It was called the, and this is my, maybe why you know it, Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater. And yeah. this one is in, in 1958. In my head, it's Alvin Ailey School of Dance. But, like, I don't know why. Well, I'm, can I please finish Oh, this? I thought no, that's just kidding. you were just telling no. me that. <laughs> no, I don't know. I, okay, go. It changes its name at some point. Okay. Um, so, and this was in 1958. Um, and he obviously still inspired by Leslie Horton. Horton. Some of his notable works includes uh, Blues Suite, a piece deriving from blues songs. Um, his choreography was a dynamic and vibrant mix growing out of his previous training in ballet, modern dance, jazz, and African dance techniques. He wanted the complete theatrical experience, costumes, lighting, makeup, a work of intense emotional appeal expressing the pain and anger of African Americans. Blue's Suite was an instant success and defined his choreography style. For his signature work, Revelations, Eilie drew upon his blood memories of Texas, the blues, spirituals, and gospels. These forces resulted... What? What's a blood memory? I'm going to guess bad. A bad memory. Okay. I just, but we can do a quick side Google. Sorry, I just... That's, I've never heard of that, and it sounds scary. <laughs> My blood memory. Sounds ominous. <laughs> yes. Blood memory definition. Okay, so a blood memory is described as our ancestral connection to our language, or language, oh, that makes sense, it's in your blood. Oh. Okay. Okay. So it's not a bad thing. Got it. Um, so that influenced, that was a large part of, like, what he did, and then he created 79 works for his dancers. He maintained that his company was not merely a showcase for his own work, though, Okay. Um, but like, yeah, but like, yeah, <laughs> it should be. So today the company continues Eileen's vision by performing important works from the past and commissioning new additions to the repertoire in all more than 200 works by over 70 choreographers have been performed by the company. Um, Eileen was also proud that his company was multiracial as well. Cause again, yeah. Horton was his mentor. Yeah. Um, but he, wanted to give opportunities to black dancers who were frequently excluded from performances by racist attitudes at the time. He also wanted to rise above issues of blackness. His company always employed artists based um, solely on artistic talent and integrity regardless of their race, a stark difference from most other dance companies that were not integrated in the 1950s. You know, because they're racist. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So he worked for his own company but still choreographed for some others. Um, in 1962, the U.S. State Department sponsored the Alvin Ailey Dance Company's first overseas tour, but he was suspicious of his government benefactors' motives. <laughs> he, 
Okay. He was a, he was a little sus. He was a little sus because he suspected they were propagandistic, seeking to advertise a false tolerance by showcasing a modern Negro dance group. So that kind of makes sense of being like, are you just trying to show that you're not racist yeah. to other countries, but like you are. Right. In 1969, a decade after founding Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater, Alvin founded the Alvin Ailey American Dance Center. Is that what you were thinking of? I don't know. Okay. But then it was renamed the Ailey School in 1999. Yeah, I mean, in my head, I'm picturing an Alvin Ailey School of Dance, but I don't know why I know this information. Um, I don't know why it's a thing in my head, Okay, but maybe it's in, like, center stage or something. Maybe. Um, so, beginning in Brooklyn with 125 students, uh, co-directors Alvin Ailey and Pearl Lang aim to provide access to arts and dance to under-resourced communities, and now the school trains more than 3,500 people. Nice. Each year. Um, and then in 1970, Eiley was honored by a commission to create the River for the American Ballet Theater. He based it on composer uh, Duke Ellington. Uh, one of his greatest successes was Cry that he released in 1971. It became a signature piece for Judith Jameson. Uh, he, ed- uh, he dedicated it to his mother and black women everywhere. Aww. So that's nice. Um, <laughs> so that's nice. <laughs> Um, and then the Alvin Ailey Dance Theater was constructed by Tishman Realty and Construction Corporation of New York, Manhattan's largest builder. I don't know why that was in there. <laughs> Tishman Realty. Tishman. Today's episode is brought to you by Tishman, Tishman Realty. Realty. <laughs> so his, his dance techniques were theatrical, valuing eclecticism. He created more a dance style than a technique. He said that what he wanted from a dancer was a long, unbroken leg. No. <laughs> Same. <laughs> <It was> a- <laughs> A long, unbroken leg line and deftly articulated, deftly articulated legs and feet. So basically just a straight out leg. Yeah. He combined this with a dramatically expressive upper torso or a modern top. Um, And then this is a quote. (laughs) This is a quote. Um, This is a quote from Eiley. Okay. This is a quote. Um, what I like is the line and technical range that classical ballet gives the, to the body, but I still want to project the audience, the expressiveness that only modern dance offers, especially for the inner kinds of things. His dancers came to his company with training from a variety of other schools, ballet, modern, jazz, and later hip-hop. Um, hip-hop. not that like a mom that's trying to be cool? Um, he did not train his dancers in a specific technique before they performed his choreography. He approached his dancers more in the manner of a jazz conductor, requiring them to infuse his choreography with a personal style that best suited their individual talents. So that's what made him unique. He was like, this is the, these are the moves that you're doing, but like, make it you. Right. So he was, he was very quiet about his own sexuality. Um, his sexuality did come through his works. The imagery used in his dances displayed male and female homosexuality. So he was like... I'm not going to say it out loud, but you get it. Yeah. You get it. It is a nudge. Um, so he died on December 1st, 1989 at the age of 58. Um, and to spare his mother the social stigma of his death from HIV AIDS at the time, he asked the doctor to announce that he had died of terminal blood dyscrasia. Something. He'd asked the doctor to lie about how he died. Yeah. And then in 1992, Alvin Ailey was inducted into the National Museum of Dance Mr. and Mrs. Cornelius Vanderbilt Whitney Hall of Fame in Saratoga, Saratoga Springs, New York. So he is honored posthumously. And that is the legacy of Alvin Ailey, who changed dance as we know it. He fell in love with dance. 
That's awesome. Yeah. Cool. I, I like that I because I know I knew that name before. Right. And now you know now why. Now I know why. I mean, I've never like even thought about that it's probably a real person. Yeah. <laughs> why do I I I watch like Step Up and I watch like So You Think You Can Dance. I'm sure that they've just mentioned it on there. So. I'm sure you've heard it. I'm sure you have. Um that's, that's season two, episode twenty. Please rate, subscribe, leave a comment, follow us on Instagram at Tell Us More Podcast on Instagram. Um, <laughs> that's also our email at gmail.com if you feel the need to reach out. Um, if you feel we don't need. care if you correct information. We're very oh, we're very open about the you fact that we know said, it's wrong. We don't care if you correct. Oh, like you correct right, our information. Right. <laughs> Sorry, I thought you were saying we don't care if information correct. <laughs> And I literally was like, okay, all right. Why are you so bad at bad at words today, Marissa? No, um, no. But yeah, um, <laughs> you you're listening it listening to this on the platform that you're listening to it to. But you can also listen. The options are iTunes podcast app, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you want to switch up your platform, um, but that's all I have to say. Toodaloo. Oh, over and out. <laughs> Okay, bye. <laughs>